0: America has been at war since October the 7th, 2001. That was the day that Operation Enduring Freedom began, and it really hasn't stopped. In fact, historians say that the War on Terror is the longest uh, sustained war in American history. In fact, we've raised a whole generation that grew up in wartime that never know, has never known what it's like to be at peace and as a result of that war initiative several organizations have begun you have the atf you have homeland security even the way we do air marshals day or anything like what we did before 9-11 all these organizations operate almost unseen from the average american but they are there to prevent future attacks and to keep us safe And because of these brave men and women, we don't face more and more attacks that are certainly schemed against us. We see uh, soldiers fighting on the battlefield in Afghanistan. Every once in a while, you'll see on the news a casket draped in a flag. And you might say to yourself, boy, it would be terrible to be over there. Boy, it's really hard to be over there. We may hear of terror plots even in the United States, but for the most part, most Americans act as if there's not a battle going on. Most Americans kind of go on about their day as if we're at peacetime when we're really at wartime. Now, the same thing is true spiritually. There is a spiritual attack happening right now. There's a spiritual battle happening right now. That's what the whole Unseen Series has been all about about spiritual warfare. We have an enemy that's rebelled against our God that has plots and and methods and strategies against you and there are unseen forces, angelic forces uh, intervening for our uh, protection. And we look at Christians on, in overseas and we, we see uh, the persecuted church in China, the persecuted in Iraq, we see uh, places over there, we go, man, it'd be really hard to be a Christian over there, and we see some evil around us, but for the most part, most Christians act as if we're at peacetime when we're at wartime. And so really Ephesians chapter 6, which is the primary passage on spiritual warfare, is really a wake-up call. It's almost like the Apostle Paul is reaching over, grabbing our shoulders and giving us a shake to say we need to wake up to what is really happening and what the battle really looks like. And how to engage in spiritual warfare warfare. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you got a Bible, I want you to open it up. You don't have one. There's one at the seat in front of you. We'll put the page number of uh, of the passage on the screen. We want everybody to have an open Bible, open heart, a pen and paper out to receive what God has for you today. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 beginning of verse 17 uh, in our last installment on our series Unseen. Ephesians chapter 6 Beginning of verse 17, this is the Word of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Now stop right there. The big idea of this passage that I want to drive home today is that there is a time to fight. There is a time to fight. Many Christians see the enemy attacking around them and they go, Man, I really hate that. I really wish you would stop that. I wish I, I regret that this is happening. I feel bad about that, but we're not fighting back. We're not pushing back. We're not taking any fight to the enemy. There's a time to fight. Now, listen, when I say there's a time to fight, I'm obviously not talking about a physical fight, I'm not talking about physical battles against physical opponents. I'm talking about a spiritual battle against spiritual opponents. I'm not talking about fighting against people. I'm talking about fighting for people, especially for those that are victims of the enemy that need the gospel to free them. And the battle talks about us fighting a good fight. The Apostle Paul said, I fought the good fight in the the last book that he wrote in 2 Timothy. And uh, in fact, another great passage is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're making notes in your Bible, just make a little note in your Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4. This is what he says. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, I want you to notice the battle language. He talks about war and, and demolition and taking things captive. That's all warfare analogy, that's all warfare talk. And what Paul is telling us here is that we are engaged in a battle. Listen, the Christian life is not a passive life. The Christian life is not a passive life. We don't just sit back and go, well, I just wish things would be better. No, we move forward, we advance. We push back the enemy. That's what the church has always been about. Advancing the kingdom of God, not just holding the ground. Now, so listen, uh, last week we talked about spiritual warfare on the defensive side. We talked about our defensive gear. Remember, we talked about the armor of God that protects us against spiritual attacks. Today, we're talking about our offensive front. How do we move forward? How do we engage the enemy in spiritual warfare? All right, that's what we're talking about today. And what you're gonna learn is that there are two major weapons that God has put in your hands for fighting back. Two major weapons that you should engage in spiritual warfare in every day, all right? So, I'm going to give them to you. There probably are more weapons in other places in the Bible. I'm just going to stick with these two. There are plenty for us today. All right? So, here's the first thing you should do in engaging in battle, and that is to pick up your sword. Pick up your sword. Pick up your sword. Look at verse 17. He says, Take the helmet of salvation. We talked about that last week. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I want you to circle the phrase, sword of the Spirit. When I was. Uh, younger in the faith I used to picture the sword of the spirit and I pictured it like a, a big for those of y'all have been around a while a kind of a Conan the barbarian kind of sword you know what I'm talking about just this big massive sword that you just swing you know and and that's a sword of the spirit maybe something you saw out of Lord of the Rings okay some big sword but actually the word sword in this passage doesn't mean big sword the word makaira there in the Greek means a short sword, something kind of like this. Now, I got your attention right now, don't I? Now, I should carry a sword with me every Sunday, you know, just, just make sure I got your eye on me. Here we go. Sword of spirit. So, this is, this is very similar to what a Roman soldier would carry. He would carry it uh, uh, with a sheath on his side. This was what he trained with. Uh, but Roman soldiers would train with how to use their sword. This short sword wasn't built for big swinging, it was built for strategic warfare. It was how to fight and how to use it skillfully, strategically, almost surgically to defeat your enemy. That's what the short sword is like. Sometimes they put the sheath on their back and they would pull it over their shoulders. But this was the primary weapon of the Roman soldier and and this is what Paul is referring to he said there is a short sword that's supposed to use be used strategically and this short sword what is this sword of the Spirit what is it what is it he tells us in the passage take the sword of the spirit which is the what Word of God all right so the Word of God uh, is a reference to the scriptures now how in the how is the Bible the Word of God you know there are several uh, places in the Bible where uh, scriptures are referred to as a sword uh, one of them, most prominent one is is in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 this is what it says for the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword penetrating as far as to the separation of soul and spirit joints and marrow it it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart in other words this, the Bible is like a sword the Bible's like the sword in that it's able to cut through a lot of stuff and get right to the, your intentions and your heart and your thoughts. It exposes our need for God. It exposes our need for a Savior. It cuts to the point. You know, I, I remember... Uh, In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, when Peter, one of the inner circle of Jesus, he was preaching about Jesus, and there was this crowd listening, and it says when he told them the gospel, it says literally, these are the words, they were cut to the heart. (laughs) What does that mean? I mean, it just cuts them. Have you ever had that? Like somebody said something, you go, oh, that just cut me right to the heart. Imagine, right to what I needed to hear, exposed something about me. That's what the Bible's like, preaching the word. Sometimes it cuts to the heart. And so many times the Bible is called the sword. Now, here's what I want you to understand that's different about Hebrews 4, the word of God's living actor, sharper than the double-edged sword, and this passage, Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 17. The word, follow with me here. I'm trying to be clear, but I, I'm from West Texas, so it's hard sometimes. Uh, the word, word in the Greek, is not the word logos. That's usually the the Greek word used for word. It's translated word, logos. We get the word logic from. That is usually the word that's used. That's the word used in, in Hebrews chapter four. The word of God is living and active, all right? The word here is not the word logos. The word here is the word rhema. Now, that's a different word. And what it means is a spoken word, a spoken word. Now, I want to put this together. He said, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the specific surgical uh, sword and and speak it out, the spoken word of God. How do these two go together? Here's how it goes together. When you are under attack spiritually, the way that you fight back, the way that you push back, the way you pull out your offensive weapon is that you take a specific spoken word from, from God's word, And you speak it out against that attack or against that temptation. You take a specific word out of the scripture and you speak it out against that very attack that's coming against you, that temptation, that trouble, that thing that's happening to you. Take a specific passage and speak it out. Specific and spoken. Those are the two things that are in mind here. Now, let me just illustrate how this works. I'm going to give you a biblical illustration and a personal illustration. The first biblical illustration. If you go to Luke chapter 4, you'll find Jesus being tempted. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. He hasn't eaten, hasn't had anything to drink. He's being tempted by the evil one. And when Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him to do wrong, how did Jesus respond? Well, Jesus responded every time... By saying the first same three words he said it is what written it is written and then he would quote a passage from the Bible that was specific to that temptation it is written man shall not live by bread alone because he was tempting him uh, to to turn stone in, into bread it is a written you shall not uh, uh, test the Lord your God put the Lord your God to a test because was See what he did? He took a specific passage related to the temptation, and he spoke it out. And I tell you what, when I first saw that, I thought, that, that, I'm seeing something I've never seen before, but this is called using the sword of the Spirit, a specific passage spoken to push back the enemy. Now, let me give you a personal illustration. I've told you many times before, and and, and many of you know this, that uh, Liz and I uh, had triplets that passed away when we were young married. It was a very traumatic experience for us. We wanted to have kids for eight years, couldn't, finally did, and the triplets passed away premature labor. And we were devastated. After which, Liz became pregnant again, which we were elated. We were happy about that. But then she started going through preterm labor again. And I'm telling you, it was as if, um, this sense of dark fear and foreboding overtook us. I, I can't really explain it other than it would just be, there, there were times when it would just like come on us, we were so afraid that this was going to happen again, so afraid, almost like this sense that something very bad or very evil is coming, and uh, it was terrible, and we didn't know what to do. So, uh, So I got the Bible out and I found some passages to talk about fear and, uh, and about God's faithfulness and God's love and, and and we wrote out these verses on these little cards and we put them all over the house. We put them on our refrigerator, we put them at the kitchen sink, we put them at the vanity, we put them in the car, we put them all over our house. If you come to our house during that season, you just see all these verses scattered. You think, what is this, VBS or what's going on here? I mean, we got, we got Bible verses everywhere. What's happening here? And what would happen is anytime we would feel this foreboding sense of darkness come over us, this fear come over us, this doubt come over us, we would literally find the closest card, and we would read it out loud. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, we would quote it out loud, and then we would pray, God, thank you that you have not given us a spirit of fear. We don't need to be afraid. You are with us. You love us. You're going before us. And let me tell you something. When we started to do that, there was something amazing about that sense of suffocating fear would just dissipate, and we would experience God's peace. And then later on, I'm reading the Sword of the Spirit, the specific word. Uh, word of God, spoken out, Rama. And then we went to Luke 4, like, hey, that's just what Jesus did, right? That's just what Jesus did. He spoke out a specific passage against the temptation, and Satan fled from him. And listen, folks, that can happen with you too. That's how you pick up your sword. Some of you are allowing these things to come and come and you're like, well, I just don't want to think that. I just, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so, I'm so depressed. I'm so uh, afraid. I'm so anxious. I'm so whatever, Uh, but you're not, it's like going into battle and leaving your sword on your, on your hip. You got to pull that thing out. You've got to take the word that God has given you and speak it out in faith. And when you do that, you will find that you're, that's what James calls resisting the devil and he will flee from you. Now, listen, let me just put a little caveat here. I know some guys, some preachers even that have had long sermons talking about how they talk to the devil. They have these long conversations. Well, I told the devil, and I kicked the devil here and I kicked the devil there. and, And they go on and on about how they have all these conversations with the devil. I don't think you need to have any conversation with the devil. I just think you just need to talk to your father and quote the word. Hey, baby, that is enough. If you will quote the word and talk to Daddy, that's all you need, because that is all that you're required to do, and that is what's powerful. The devil doesn't care what you say, but he cares greatly about the word of God. All right. So, first thing you got to do is pick up your sword. What's the first thing you got to do? Uh, let's let's get a little more engagement here. What's the first thing you got to do? You got to pick up your sword. All right, second thing you've got to do is simple. One word, pray, pray. Pick up your sword and pray. I want you to look at, now I'm not talking about, well, let's just read, all right, here we go. Look at verse 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. The word all there. The Greek word pos appears four times in this translation. All or every uh, is translated "all or every." All prayer, all saints, all the time. I mean, this is the this is a battlefield kind of praying. I have a friend of mine that uh, worked with special forces overseas. And he would go out and face bad guys all the time. And he's embedded with these special forces. And when they get on the field and they're advancing into enemy territory, they're going into a valley. They're coming over a ridge. They're they're going to take it to the enemy. And they realize they don't have enough firepower to overcome the enemy. His job was to get on the radio and call in strategic strikes. He had... uh, He had coordinates that he would call in. There's special language that they use to communicate with all these uh, various branches to bring in the firepower so that they could advance. That's really the picture here. This is a picture of uh, battlefield praying. This is a picture of doing battle on your knees. Listen, this is not ordinary praying. Listen, when when you see the enemy coming in when you see hard hearts, when you see addiction, when you see a division in your marriage, when you see your kids being lured away by evil influences, when you see things like this happening, it's not enough to just wring your hands and wish it was different. You've got to do battle. You've got to say enough is enough and I'm going to fight this fight on my knees. It's time to move forward and not to just shrink back in fear. And this is probably one of the the greatest calls to arms in Ephesians uh, 6, 18 through 20. A call to arms, a call to prayer, that there's something powerful about the people of God on their knees crying out for God to move. So what does what this battlefield prayer look like? Let me give you a couple things to write down. This is how you do battlefield prayer. And one is you got to pray constantly. Look at verse 18. He said, pray at all times. He goes on to say with all perseverance. That's unrelenting prayer. That's constant prayer. That's relentless prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18, he was, uh, he was giving a story and he said, uh, He said, there's this widow and she was offended and she was treated unjustly. And so she goes to the judge. She asks him for for help and the judge won't see her. So she comes back the next day. And then the next day, day after day, week after week, month after month, she keeps begging and begging and begging and begging and begging for the judge to do something. And finally the judge does because she just wears him down. All right. You ever had like your kids just kind of wear you down? All right, you can have the lollipop at 12 midnight. You know, just enough already. All right. She just wore him down. And then Jesus says this after that story: "Will God not bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night?" The answer is yes. Will He answer you if you cry out to Him day and night? Yes, He will. Constant prayer. Romans 12:12 12, 12 says that we are continued diligently in prayer. First Thessalonians 5:17 says we're to pray without ceasing. The early church in Acts chapter 6 verse 4 said they were constantly in prayer. Listen, if you want a breakthrough, if you want to see Satan defeated, if you want darkness pushed back, that's not going to happen with you wishing. It's going to happen with you praying. And a persistent, relentless battle on your knees in prayer. And what happens is many times we, we start off strong, okay? We start off going, we're going to pray this through. We're going to pray. And then and, and we start to pray, and we, we maybe get a week into it. And then we're like, well, I don't see God's done anything. God, it's, been, it's been a whole week, God. And you haven't done anything. So we quit. And really, in our back of our minds, we go, I wonder if God even answers prayer. I guess God's going to do what He's going to do no need for me to pray and satan just wears you down so you don't pray anymore you don't fight anymore he just wears you out but listen this kind of praying is relentless prayer it is desperate prayer it is god i will not let go until something happens because god i am desperate and I've got nowhere to go but to you so you have no idea what is happening when you're praying You remember back, uh, a couple of weeks back, I was preaching out of Daniel chapter 10. I'm not gonna re-preach that message, but Daniel 10. Remember when Daniel's praying and he's crying out to God and three weeks later, he has a visit from an angel that comes to him and he says, hey, from the moment you started praying until now, I've been battling the forces of darkness and I just now got to you. It took three weeks for that to happen. Listen, you have no idea what God is doing when you pray. You say God's not working, you don't know. You can't see Uh, with the physical eyes, what God is doing in the unseen world. You can't see what Satan is being pushed back or what evil is being thwarted, what demonic forces are pushed behind, how God is advancing, how God is orchestrating. You don't know it. That's why it's called faith. So we pray in faith, trusting that God is at work, trusting that God is fighting our battles for us. But we pray and we are relentless. We are in constant, constant, prayer. If you quit praying, is there a problem in your family, a problem in your work, a problem in your own heart, or own mind, and you've just stopped praying? You haven't prayed about it anymore because you've gotten discouraged. It's time to pray again. It's time to go back to work, to engage again in the fight. Second thing about prayer is to pray passionately. Look at verse 18. He says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. This is intense prayer, it's personal prayer, it's relentless prayer, it's, it's, it's fervent prayer. I remember being in a conference and listening to a pastor from West Africa speak and, and he, I mean he faces these spiritual battles I and mean, witch doctors and curses and demonic, visible demonic forces all the time. Threats on his life, threat, uh, threats on his church members' lives for advancing the kingdom in very dark places in West Africa. And I remember him saying about prayer, he said, don't be casual or you will be a casualty. I thought, man, that's good, I better write that down. That's pretty good, you better write that down too, all right? Don't be casual or you'll be a casualty. Are you praying too casual? You know what I'm talking about that? Are you praying with fervency for God to move on behalf of this person uh, that's facing a spiritual conflict you got to pray in the spirit what, what does it mean to pray in the spirit there are a lot of a lot of people have different views on what that means uh, if just to look at what the passage says that phrase in the spirit can be translated in some different ways it can be translated pray by means of the spirit or with the help of the spirit or in the sphere of the spirit or in connection with the spirit Praying in the Spirit is not so much what you say, it's how you pray. That you are, you are crying out for the Spirit of God to help you. You're relying on the Spirit's help. You're asking for the Spirit to empower you. You're, you're asking the Spirit of God to take your prayer and align it with God's will for your life. You're asking the Spirit of God to give you energy and strength to persevere in prayer. But you are dependent on the Spirit, relying on the Spirit Yeah, have you ever been in a situation where you don't know how to pray? Have you ever been in a situation where you couldn't utter words to pray? Man, I've been in situations when uh, I just couldn't quit crying. And I would just, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even be able to get a word out. I mean, my face, you know, on the ground and I'm just crying for God. To move and I can't get any words out. And sometimes I would just groan. I just groan. God, you know, God help. And in those moments, Romans 8.26 says, when we don't know how to pray, when there are no words to communicate the depth of our feeling, the Spirit of God intercedes for us. That's praying in the Spirit. Praying in desperation, praying for God to intervene, to intercede, to do something. That's that's not casual prayer, folks. That's battlefield prayer. That's not casual prayer. That's praying. That's going to war and fighting for those that you know and those that you love. Here's another thing. Pray constantly, pray passionately. Here's another, pray collectively. Look at verse 18. He he said, stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We need to pray together. We need to pray, listen, for each other. But we also need to pray with each other. You understand the difference? A lot of times we go, oh man, I'll pray for you. I got you. I'll pray for you. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But to pray with someone else means to put your arms around them. And in that moment, we're going to pray this out right now. We're going to pray this out. We're going to deal with this right here and right now. Colossians chapter 4 verse 12 talks about a guy named Epaphras. Epaphras, it just says about him that he wrestled with God in prayer for these believers in Colossae. And when I picture I think a picture of God, he's wrestling in prayer. He is like doing battle in prayer. He's he's fervent. He's crying out to God for God to protect and watch over and move. And he's wrestling and fighting for them in prayer. Listen, is there anybody wrestling for you? Is anybody showing up to your house in the evening and knocking on your door and saying, Man, I tell you what, we just gotta come and get on our knees by your couch tonight. And we just need to pray as hard as we can for God to intervene in your situation. Listen, I'm your pastor, and I love you a lot. I love you a lot. And I thank God for you every time I pray. But I love you enough to tell you the truth, and so I'm gonna tell you something that's true that I've observed. There are many of you that you're fighting this battle all by yourself, you don't want anybody to know what you're going through, and it's a deep hurt, and you've got really serious things going on. And their stakes are high, but you don't want to let anybody to know because you don't want people to think that you don't have your act together. Or you don't want to think anybody think bad about somebody, you know, or you know, you know, whatever the situation. You don't want somebody in your business. I I don't know what it is, but w- so we just isolate ourselves and try to do it all alone. Do you not realize? That ad is one of the plans of the enemy, to isolate you by yourself, so that he can discourage you and get you to quit fighting. But listen, when you're with your brothers and sisters in Christ, even when you wanna quit, they'll keep praying. <laughs> and even when you're ready to throw in the towel, they keep, they keep going at it. That's why we can't, a church is never about people in rows, it's always about people in circles. It's, always, it's never about what we look to the platform. It's how we love on each other. That's why we constantly pound into you. Man, you got to be in a connect group because that's a group that will pray for you and do battle for you. That's why we come together as a church and we pray. That's why, as a staff, we pray for you. And we have many people that come to our our staff prayer time and they say, "Man, I got a marriage issue. I got a job issue. I got a sickness issue." And we will gather around them and we will do battle on our knees for them. And let me tell you what: it is a beautiful thing to watch when God's people go to battle for each other in prayer. What's holding you back? from having people in your living room this week and say, man, we just got to do some battle. We just got to pray this through. We just got to keep praying. And by the way, this isn't everybody praying one prayer, go around the circle, then we eat you know, dessert and leave. This is, we're going to go at it for a while. We're going to pray for a while. We're going to be reading scripture for a while. We're going to ask God to show us even how to pray for a while. But we're going to stay at it. Folks, that's really what tonight is about. The night of worship. When we come to worship God, and we come with our worship, and we come with our prayer, and we come with the spoken word of God, we are ready to do battle, to advance the kingdom of God, to pray over each other, to say enough is enough. It's time to fight back. That time is now. You gotta pick up your sword, pick up your shield. Get in the battle. Get on your knees. Come on. We've got to fight to engage in. No more passiveness. Let's advance. We have the Spirit of God with you. You're a child of God. You know that? Ephesians 1, do I have to preach that whole series again? Ephesians chapter 1, you are chosen, you are blessed, you are called. That is who you are in Jesus Christ. It's time to start living like it. Time to start praying like it. Time to start trusting again. I'll close with this. Elisha is in his home, surrounded by an army. As the dawn breaks, his servant looks through the window and sees this passive army. And he panics, you know, his eyes get as big as saucers, blood drains from his face. He turns to Elisha the prophet and he says, there's an army out here, what are we gonna do? Panicked, what are we gonna do? Elisha seems unfazed by the information. And almost, I picture with a grin on his face, doesn't say that in the Bible, that's just my imagination. I picture with a grin in his face, he prays a simple prayer. He said, Lord, open his eyes to see. And that servant, all of a sudden, it's almost like the veil is pulled back from his eyes and he can see into the unseen world. And what he sees is the whole mountain range covered with armies of fire. Elisha said they're more with us Center with them Folks so many times when the enemy is coming against us when things are hard when suffering and persecution and crisis and trouble We're like that servant we go. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? We panic? I pray that God would open our eyes to see the unseen world to fight The fight of faith. To trust that there's more with us than with him. And to trust Jesus and to cry out to him and engage in the battle. It's time to fight. The time is now. You battle your head with me. Just with your heads bowed. Some of you are going through it right now. You're going through it with uh, trouble in your home, trouble in your own heart. You're battling addiction or depression. You're battling because you have a loved one that's far from God. You're battling crisis. You're battling things at work. You're battling things in a friendship that is sideways. There's conflict swirling around you. There's division, strife. There's temptation constantly nipping at your heels. You need to fight.